Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. Today, I'm joined by Dave Searle, the Fieldhouse. Dave, how are you doing today, man? Doing wonderful. It's a, it's a beautiful day outside. Looking forward to doing a little grilling, mowing the lawn, doing some suburban dad stuff this weekend, and uh, we'll talk a little Pacers basketball. I feel that, man. It's actually really funny. Now that I live in an apartment, I actually like – every time I go back to my parents' house, I want to mow the lawn for them because I'm just <laughs> like – I miss getting to do it. I, You know, I'd never thought that I would actually look forward to doing it someday, but uh, the way your perspective changes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of embarrassing how much I enjoy doing it. <laughs> it's like a good mental break. You can listen to a podcast, yeah. listen to some music. It's, like, right. it's fun. Um, so, I how many people are mowing the lawn right now listening to this? Oh, you know, hopefully – if if things are going right, hundreds. That's the, maybe thousands. <laughs> my uh, my popularity is just sprawling across Indiana. Um, so my that's it's all sarcasm, my people. Uh, so the first thing I want to say though, um, after last night, did you know, Dave, that T.J. Leaf was drafted before <laughs> O.G. Ananobi was? I, I don't you know. I heard that. Hadn't heard apparently, that. Uh, apparently that happened. Um, <laughs> I am honestly so tired of that getting brought up every time OG Ananobi does something. I yeah. love OG. He's an incredible player. I wish the Pacers had drafted him. But at, at some point, we do have to stop doing that because it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, dude, it's getting on my nerves. Well, I mean, they'd still be talking about Kawhi Leonard if like, George Hill was still in the Pacers uniform. That's just kind of how it goes. I think that in this particular case, man, when TJ Leaf got drafted, I was just mystified. Like okay, this this okay. We'll we'll see. Um, I can see why right now. If the Pacers had a six foot ten guy that was decently athletic, had was good at rebounding, not necessarily the best defender, but was bombing threes, mm-hmm. like that'd be a pretty good fit for the roster. So I can see where the thought process was on that. Um, but he just it just didn't seem like he was the guy. Work. Yeah. And he is not that guy. And so um, that coupled with the fact that so many people uh, wanted OG um, at the time, that's just going to stick in people's craws for a long time. Um, even I'm not a college basketball guy. I don't watch college basketball. Um, I did go to IU. I don't particularly, I'm not particularly passionate about IU basketball. Um, I still thought the OG was the right pick right there. You know, um, definitely wasn't a, um, a, a Hoosiers homer pick. It just seemed like that was a great bet to make. And so um, I think a lot of other people felt that way. Um, and then combined with the fact that it was a hometown guy, uh, that's just going to make it a thing that if it seemed inexplicable at the time and it keeps getting worse and worse, um, it's just hard to get over it, I guess. But, um, you know, don't need to necessarily bring it up every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I wish TJ had worked out. And I, I agree. Like I wasn't, uh, I'm just, like, I, I'm going to do draft work pretty soon. Uh, I keep telling myself that, at least. Um, when you only have a, the 54th pick, it makes you a lot less uh, excited to do draft work. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I'm not really a big college basketball person, but I remember, like, going through and watching TJ Leaf play, and he looked like a guy who fit the roster. And especially at the time, you know, you don't know what OG's going to be, and he was coming off that knee injury. Um, 
But now I would give just about anything to have OG on the roster. Um, yeah, so- absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'd give the Pacers a tiny little cr- a kernel of credit for the thought there, but it didn't look like a good yeah. pick at the time. And yeah. It certainly has not aged well. Definitely. Um, so, you know, getting into the meat of the podcast, what we're going to talk about today, um, kind of just an overarching, uh, not where the team is going, but more of what happens with Victor Oladipo. Not necessarily mm-hmm. like a player review or or diving into a season or anything, but more just talking about the philosophical ideas behind um, what the team might do with him and, and what he might do with the team. Um, I think that's, I mean, everybody's talked about it. And I, I think now we're, we're just going to spend some time talking about it, see what we think. And so first off, I know right away, um, unless your opinions have changed in the last couple of days, I believe you put out a tweet a couple of days ago on how you think it's um, it would be, not the wrong move for the team to move on from him this off season. Yeah. And I, I still feel that way with, with, with a little bit of a caveat. We'll get mm-hmm. back to the caveat, but um, part of it is just a feeling. And part of it is a understanding of where the Pacers are, where they are with the cap, etc. cetera. Um, it's it, a lot of it is informed by seeing him uh, play in the bubble. Um, you know, when he came back from injury, obviously he didn't look right at all. Um, that's not the end of the world, but it is a, maybe that puts like one notch in the concern meter. And then the season progressed. He started to get going right before COVID. So there's a little glimmer of hope there, but it just took a long time to really see him return. Um, and, you know, just like anybody else, you get a little nervous. Every game that goes by and you don't see the old Vic, you start to kind of wonder if he's ever going to kind of come back. Um, and then he plays in the bubble. And I just thought, you know, obviously he was real shaky in the bubble. And not just uh, from a lack of explosiveness, but, you know, some of the passes he made were kind of mystifying. His handle looked like it was gone. It was a clear step back. And so the bubble's weird. Um, There's maybe a lot going on. Um, There's a lot of different reasons why something like that might happen. But it just, you get a little extra bit nervous that that Vic isn't going to come back. But you put that up against the fact that Victor Oladipo, when he came to Indiana, he was an all-NBA guy. I mean, he looked like a guy that was destined for a max contract. Um, and I'm sure in his head, when that season was over, he thought, this is great. Maybe I'll be in Indiana. We'll see where my home is, wherever I'm going. I've been minted as one of those surefire max contract guys. Uh, you know, when Paul George was here and you're trying to figure out where his uh, you know, third contract was going to come from, there was no negotiation as part of the process. It was just, he's, he's a max contract guy, period. That's it. And so if you, are, when he's picking his team, I've always been curious about the behind the scenes on this. Does anybody even say it out loud? Like does somebody, I, I'm sure maybe the GM might sit down with Paul George, make the pitch and say, hey, we want to make it max contract guy. Here's what we have planned. Just so they say it formally. But everybody knows if you're going to sign Paul George, you're going to give him a max contract. Mm-hmm. I am confident that Oladipo a couple of years ago thought that that was how this offseason was going to go. When, not this offseason, but the next one, of yeah. course, when he's a free agent. Now there's this extra layer. Instead of talking about uh, Victor Oladipo making this uh, decision based on how the team is doing, based on what franchise he wants to be with, now there's the layer of what's the contract going to be. There's a real, true negotiation that's going to happen with whoever he plays for. I don't know what's in his head right now, but he might be thinking that a couple of different teams might be still willing to just give him that max extension. Well, not an extension, but uh, give him a max contract. Um, and if that's true, it's not going to come from Indiana, I don't think. 
Uh, it seems pretty clear to me that the Pacers, unless next season is bananas, they're not going to be the team that I think gets in the next deal. And honestly, I think throughout the league, no team is going to get on the next deal. So now he has to pick the franchise and also has to negotiate the deal. And that adds a layer where it starts to get a, a, um, a little bit nervous. So you're looking at, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to return the form? And is he going to be happy with the contract that we're comfortable with? Uh, because no matter how good he is, there's going to be a number that the Pacers feel comfortable paying him. And if he thinks that number is higher, then there's a disconnect. That means that um, uh, they might not be able to resign him. So for all of those factors and the fact that the Pacers are pretty much capped out and the only way for them to really improve is via trade, that is why I am more open to Victor Oladipo being traded in the offseason as a good move um, than ever and why I think that some fans might look at this as a um, they need to trade Victor Oladipo because he's going to choose another team. People should be thinking that uh, the Pacers might trade Victor Oladipo because he won't want the contract that he's worth. And I think that that's a different conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I think the first thing that, that I would, I, I would come at with that is looking at health and returning to form. Because one thing I, I looked at right away when, um, when he was first coming back, uh, I wrote an article, gosh, it seems like a year ago, uh, it was probably four months ago, um, about, you know, what his injury is like um, and, you know, the return for that. And the only guys who have had similar injuries were Tony Parker, I believe, two years ago, two or three years ago, right. and Kawhi. Um, and Tony's out of the league now. He played, I believe, two or three years after that injury, and then he was gone. Um, and it's hard to gauge that because he was already, I believe, 34 or 35 when that injury happened. So he was on the back end. Uh, wasn't really a full starter at that point anymore. And uh, Kawhi sits out back-to-backs, and I believe Tony did the same as well. I think that's going to be the reality for Victor moving forward. You know, for not – I don't, I don't want to say the entire rest of his career, and that brings up a whole thing with – I hate saying load management because I think it's been so overblown uh, because I, it's just injury management, and it's very real. I think people always forget, like, Kawhi has – a legit degenerative tissue issue in his, in his leg. Like, I mean, that's, it's hard to ask somebody to come and play back to backs on that. And you can say whatever you want about that, but that's just my opinion. I think that that we, we go a little hard on injuries sometimes. Um, but just saying that that's, that's going to be very real realistic for, for, for Vic moving forward. Um, and in terms of talking to, uh, I've talked to some athletic trainers about, you know, what recovery time is like and, and how it, how long it might take for him to re, re, regain form. And if he can, um, obviously if you can, that's, that's more, uh, that's not really something that we can judge. You know, that's not, it, whatever happens, happens with where he gets back to stuff. Um, but in terms of outlook for him getting back to a place where he's fully healthy and his body's back to where it can be. Um, I mean, it could be the end of next season, maybe even longer than that, just from, from guys I've talked to and the bubble obviously doesn't help because you go from, you know, this off season, or I mean, not this off season, the, the hiatus time between uh, regular play and going to the bubble was it just throws off everything. And I think that's something that's been entirely discounted. Um, I'm really interested to see what the injury numbers and the way the injuries happen over the next season progress, not in a good way. I mean that just more like I I'm interested to see empirically what happens Um, because you go from these guys who are so regimented on everything they do. Everything is calculated. They're playing a very similar season every year. Uh, since they were in AAU. I mean, 
that's how basketball is built. And now this is the first time that most of these guys, and I, I especially think it's going to impact guys who are a little bit older. Um, this is the first time they're ever going to be playing a season at a different point in the year. Um, so I wonder how that influences things as well, but mainly just with Vic. Uh, I mean, especially what you're saying that feeds into the contract he gets, because then you think about, well, what does he look like next year? Does his value go up? Does it remain the same or does it go down? Um, I think it's less likely that it would go down unless he had like another injury or something. Um, but, you know, speaking off your point as well, I mean, I don't think that I would be hard pressed to say that a team is going to offer him a max contract, especially based off the bubble. You could maybe argue it before the bubble because he was starting to look um, solid towards the end of uh, the pre-hiatus season. Um, but with, with how he looked in the bubble, I mean, like, you can just pull like five or six clips right off the bat of when he got isolated on Duncan Robinson or Goran Dragic and he wasn't able to drive. I mean, that's, that's the, the exact opposite of, of Victor Oladipo when he's healthy. So yeah. that brings up a lot of interesting points to, to discuss for sure. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned uh, the fact that the bubble and the fact that there was a bit of a hiatus, uh, there seems to be some indication that when, you know, the NBA has had a lockout and they started off uh, a little bit later and it was kind of, you know, you go through a negotiation, you're not hundred percent sure when the season's going to start. It seemed like in that season, there were maybe a little bit more injuries than usual. And part of that was that people just weren't in the right body rhythm when they started the season, it was a little bit rushed. And so that led to some injuries. And so that was a part of potentially the kernel of thought that kept, uh, that made Old Depot consider not playing in the bubble at all is that maybe uh, this is rushed a little bit and it might be bad for my injury. And it could be that he's holding back a little bit in the sense that he doesn't want to uh, re-aggravate that injury. I wouldn't blame him if uh, that were the particular case, but that's an interesting uh, point to bring up there about how that might've affected his play. Um, when we talk about the uncertainty of next season, um, that is a mystery box and that mystery box creates value. Um, when another team looks at what's happening with Victor Oladipo and they think we might be able to get a uh, all NBA level player at the lowest price he's ever been, uh, that creates an opportunity where maybe a team is able to oh, real, willing to put in real assets in, in a trade acquisition because of it. Um, just like the Pacers uh, would benefit from just holding on to Oladipo and seeing what happens next season a team that acquiring him could be enticed by saying we have no idea what next season's going to be. And we actually might get a really good value, even though we're giving up good assets here, we might be able to get something else. Um, the, the Pacers are also uh, going to get a new coach in the off season. And I think that that's an important factor here too, where if you hold on to Old Depot and just kind of see where he's happening uh, mid season, it's a lot to ask for a coach to come in, install a new system, run it for, you know, a few months and then maybe acquire a new centerpiece and then do it again. That's a lot to ask of a new coach. Um, and that gets me back to kind of the caveat that I mentioned when I first started talking. So it's going to be a new coach. What if that coach is Mike D'Antoni? Um, think about what happened with James Harden. Um, in my opinion, James Harden talent-wise is on about the same level of a guy like Paul George or Jimmy Butler, maybe even Dame Lillard. Those are all excellent basketball players. There is a tier of absolute elite players that drive teams deep into the playoffs and that are MVP candidates. And that tier is very exclusive. And I think it's, it's Steph, KD, LeBron, 
Giannis, uh, Kawhi, Anthony Davis. Those would be my six. Anybody outside of that is a tier below and is a different kind of basketball player. Many people consider James Harden to be in that tier. I mean, he's won MVPs. He's been, has some of the best offensive seasons in NBA history. Um, he certainly deserves, because of his production, to be in that tier, and I would never argue with anybody about that. But I still think that the reason why he's there is because he's played in Mike D'Antoni's system. I think that um, if you put maybe even like Paul George in it, um, that there's a chance that he puts up numbers that are fairly similar to what James Harden is doing. Um, I think there's a lot of guys. If you put Dame Lillard in that system, I mean, he's had amazing seasons. I think it would be pushed even further. Um, and so what happens when you put Victor Oladipo into that system? Um, you know, he is clearly – the player best suited to be the James Harden of a, Mike, a potential Mike D'Antoni system. His ability to hit threes off the dribble is actually pretty elite. Um, it's a rare skill that not a lot of players have had. He's an excellent ball handler. He's explosive. We've seen him. I, I just, I just said that he made terrible passes in the bubble, but he also made a couple of jaw dropping passes in the bubble. Like, Holy cow. How did that even go through? I'm um, thinking of the pass against the Mavericks in the quote unquote preseason or whatever it was called the warm up games. Uh, he has a lot of that ability. Is he going to win MVP? Uh, I don't know. Is he going to be up to the same level as James Harden? I don't know about that. But would he turn into this 27-point-a-game score with maybe eight assists and a couple of rebounds? Like, he has the potential to reach that as the pilot of that system. And so uh, that's the flip side of it. If he ends up being uh, – uh, D'Antoni ends up being the coach of the Pacers, he's clearly the best guy to uh, lead that. And so maybe the Pacers say, man, injuries are bad. Um, but, you know, if we put Oladipo into that, I think that, A, they need it to be able to run that kind of system. And then, B, it also provides a little bit of insurance for the next contract. Because if Oladipo puts up those kind of numbers, and he's like, you know, Dan Tony is a part of the reason why I do that, that makes it a lot more enticing. I think that you take a little bit of the pressure off of whether or not the Pacers can win a title. Because everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win big. I think that if, you know, D'Antoni comes in, Oladipo has an amazing season, and the Pacers get a tough out in the second round against, like, the Celtics or something, I still think it's like, okay, maybe maybe we don't have exactly what it takes to get to the finals in the next couple of years. But also, I'm an all-NBA guy. Like, I'm on, I'm on the short list for MVP. Like, you, that suddenly becomes a much uh, better uh, uh, incentive to be able to stick with the franchise. And I'm projecting real far out, and that's a lot to assume. But, you know, that's the reason why you bring in a Hall of Fame coach to be able to coach the, uh, the Indiana Pacers is to get that kind of result. So that's a factor, too, that I think is a little bit interesting and that uh, since I've kind of tweeted that has uh, gotten to my brain a little bit more. No, yeah. I, well, I, I have a lot of thoughts off that. I, uh, I think – that makes a lot of sense. And I, I agree. I think the idea that this team's going to be a title team right off the bat is like not there. Um, I know that there yeah. are some people who think if, if we, not to say that it's everybody, um, but I know there are some people who think if we had Mike D'Antoni this year, then this team's a title team. And I think it's so very clear that this team's, um, I, I think if things had broken right, fans maybe fans. they could make a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Maybe if things break right, this is a team that could have maybe made, I, I don't even want to say that they could have made the Eastern Conference Finals. Like that's, a, that's tough for this team. Um, but I do think with, in terms of, you know, the, especially with Pritchard's comments uh, recently about the trade market being active, obviously he spoke about the NBA 
in general, but I don't think he would have said that if there weren't things in store for the Pacers. Um, I think, you know, this team's a couple moves away, a couple tweaks, and they can be a, a conference finals team. They're going to be very similar to um, – I don't want to quite say – I mean, the 98 team was, I'd say, my opinion, the second best team because the best team is the brawl team. That's by far the most talented team teams ever had. Um, but it's very similar in that that team is – capable of making conference finals if things break right and maybe something else can happen uh if if there's some luck along the way and that's how you went along the margins when you're in a smaller market um i think the biggest thing for me is we can talk about victor remaining a pacer uh in a minute but my first thing would be what do you even think victor's value is right now um because i i that's one of the biggest things that i i try and grapple with i don't love speaking trades into existence but to, in essence, I mean, we're not the ones who have spoken any kind of trade into existence. Uh, I think a lot of that has come from, um, you know, you can say whoever you want has, has put that out there, but it's out there. You know, it's very real to think about. Um, I, I That's one thing I wonder because, you, like you mentioned, with Victor um, staying healthy and, and re- returning to form and maybe flourishing under a D'Antoni-led offense or whoever is, is the new coach, um, you wonder if he is traded uh what can you even have anything that becomes close to what victor is if he is healthy again yeah so that's that is the big question uh for sure and the short answer is i don't know i have no mm-hmm. idea how much uh, teams value that i think that um it is easy if a team is in a great position great cap number great draft picks coming up lots of assets lots of flexibility you kind of naturally looked at that, that team as maybe a trade partner, but I also think it's the least likely trade partner because, you know, he got one more year on the contract. He's got a lot of question marks, et cetera. You never know. But then you look at teams that are maybe don't have quite as many resources, don't as many have as many talent in the pipeline, but still want to be able to go out and uh, win at a very high level. Then their options start to become limited. I mean, they can't just go out and sign the, the next all-star that's a free agent necessarily, but they might have a chance to get one this season, convince them to stay and get that contract. So, and we've seen trades like that, you know, um, we see Paul George uh, switch teams uh, a couple of times here, obviously, um, you know, when Paul George first went on the trade market, they're saying, well, it's going to be LA and that's where he wants to be. Maybe here's a couple of other options. Oklahoma City was in a situation where they kind of didn't have great uh, a cap situation and they wanted to win with uh, Russell Westbrook. So then they put in a couple of all-stars into a trade to be able to acquire uh, uh, Paul George. I think that the Toronto Raptors found themselves in a, a situation where they had DeMar DeRozan probably paid a little bit too much. Um, and so they end up they taking a roll of the dice with Kawhi. They don't get to keep him long-term, but they won a title. I think that they go ahead and get that trade. Um, those are maybe kind of – Two ends of the spectrum. I don't know if the Spurs got the best return out of Kawhi um, in that particular situation. Um, but it was also known that he wanted to leave. We're, they're not at that point with Oladipo, so that's part of it too. Uh, but, again, those were kind of two teams that thought they were very good, could use one extra piece to go a little bit farther, and ended up giving up assets. And I think that that's the kind of team that you end up needing to look at. Um, it's maybe a little bit less of the natural trade partner. Um, the Dallas Mavericks, I think that would, uh, if you you have Porzingis and you have Luca, and you think maybe you add Victor Oladipo, and now you got three, and maybe you can go forward. But they have so much flexibility going to the future, and they're so young. That's a bad trade target. Um, but a team like oh, I don't know, like the 76ers, 
Um, you know, they obviously are completely capped out here. Um, they have very limited options. I don't think anybody wants Tobias Harris or wants uh, Al Horford. Uh, they might even have to give something up if they want to get out of those guys. So um, uh, that is one situation where I don't know exactly what the assets are. I don't know if a third team's involved, et cetera. But you look for that kind of team. Um, maybe the uh, the Nuggets um, are want to make a move uh, to get that extra step to get um, all the way to the top. Um so I feel like there's a lot of teams that are kind of in that sort of situation. Um, and that's the kind of teams that maybe I'd be looking for uh, that need to make one extra move to be able to get to that next level. Um, again, I don't know what the assets are going back from or would be in that situation, but I bet the Rockets would be a team that would probably appoint maybe a little bit too much if they had those assets available. So those are the kind of teams that I'd be looking for. Um, have hit maybe a little bit of a ceiling need to roll the dice to get a little bit extra for, uh, in the, uh, farther in the playoffs. I think there's a decent number of teams like that um, that be, might be able to roll that dice and you might be able to get stuff out of them. Definitely. And so I guess that kind of brings up more like, philosophical stuff moving forward. Obviously, um, you know, I've, I, we've spoken about it before. I've spoken to other people too on, I mean, obviously I don't think that there are going to be two centers in the starting lineup next year. Um, that who, who's, who's moved is, you know, that's, that's up for debate. Um, obviously, they could both be there, and we could be totally miffed by the time the season starts. But I would not expect it. Um, and so that brings into question, like, what the roster looks like. And I think one thing—it's not necessarily in relation to Vic, but I do think with with Malcolm Brogdon coming in, and especially after watching a whole year of Brogdon and uh, part of a year of Old Depot, um, I think the idea of Malcolm is phenomenal. I, I love his game, and I've loved having him here. But I do think it, whether it's through somebody on the wing or more of a true point guard or it's through Vic refine, you know, having his ball handling. Because before the bubble, he was showing uh, some more ability to be kind of the lead, lead ball handler. Um, moving Malcolm off ball, I think, should be one of the massive priorities of this team. So I think he can, he can run some side actions. He's a great playmaker. Um, but at the same time, he really lost a lot of his efficiency as a lead ball handler, and he doesn't quite make elite enough reads um, to be, you know, the guy who's driving your offense. Maybe part of that is because we saw the McMillan uh, drive and die offense, as I like to call it, um, because there are no second actions off the first action. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I think if finding somebody who can initiate offense at a higher level is the biggest thing. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, the philosophy that the Rockets have had in recent years where it's you can't get enough ball handlers. Mm -hmm. um, put two in the lineup. Put three in the lineup. Uh, part of the reason why I think that trading one of the centers makes the most sense uh, for this team is, A, I think that T.J. Warren is going to ball out as the four, honestly. I, I just think it's a good position. Um, you got to give up something to get something, and the Pacers, I think, need to make a move to take the next uh, uh, leap. Um, but also it's the fact that I think if you get another ball handler, um, I know we're talking about, we've kind of shifted from Oladipo to two centers. Mm -hmm. There could be two trades. I think that you can make a move that drastic. I don't know. Um, let's uh, talk about a scenario in which they trade a center, but keep Oladipo. Um, if you add you, the much kind of rumored or talked about or poked around Turner for Drew Holiday trade, um, then you have three ball handlers in the lineup all of a sudden. Um, you've got guys that I think could do okay on switching on defense, and then you would be have guys taking turns basically initiating offense. Um, I think that 
that kind of offense is um, has a lot a very high ceiling um, in the NBA, and it's something that I much prefer rather than having like DJ Augustine hold the mm-hmm. ball every single time, yeah. and then everybody else trying. It's just it, that's never made sense to me my entire life. People have always sworn to me that uh, point guards, like the floor general guys, make offenses better. I've struggled to see it, honestly. And uh, when you see teams that have two, three guys that can initiate offense, they always seem to be playing better basketball to me. So, uh, you know, we talk about moving uh, Brogdon off ball. To me, I just kind of want, you know, three guys holding onto the ball like it's like Captain Planet or something. It's like with our powers combined, we initiate the offense. You know, um, having – who's the point guard? Like, I don't know, that guy, I guess, whatever. Whoever you want to write down on the one slot, it doesn't matter. We're going to move around a little bit depending on defensive matchups. But, um, um, you know, we basically have um, uh, three point guards out there in Brogdon, Oladipo, and Player X. Um, that is where it entices me the most, no matter who the, the uh, coach may be. Um, having three three people to initiate that offense, I think would be uh, very, very good for the Pacers. Um, And so um, I would see that upside um, as a motivating factor to be able to include one of those centers in the deal. I I totally agree with that. And uh, I'm, I'm more and more intrigued with the three, three guard lineup every day. Uh, I just wonder, because the biggest thing for me is I, I try and not think too much on on other teams, because I know you, you have to worry about your own team and getting better. But I do wonder how a three-guard lineup – well, obviously the Bucks will probably look a little bit different next year, especially depending on what happens um, tonight and moving forward. Uh, but, you know, I, it does bring up questions a little bit because finding size and finding somebody who can, who can guard Giannis a little bit because that's been a major issue for the team. Um, but – When it comes to those things, a lot of times it's like – Who's going to guard LeBron? Who's going to guard Giannis? Like, we can't nobody. now. Yeah, that's a good point. Nobody, you know, like, nobody can now. So they don't have a three-guard line. They still can't guard him. So, you yeah. know, it's um, – if, man, if Paul George walks through that door, <laughs> you know, obviously um, uh, a guy like Jimmy Butler, um, a guy like Chris Middleton or something, like, yeah, that'd be awesome. But um, if that guy's available for trade, then sure. But those guys are awesome assets. And so – um, I wouldn't necessarily consider it a detriment to the three-guard lineup. It's a weakness, but it's a weakness that teams without three guards also have. Yeah, definitely. That's a great way of putting it. Um, so, you know, kind of one of the last things I want to talk about before we get you out of here. Uh, how similar would you say this is a little bit to the Paul George situation? Um, because I think I personally don't find it that similar. I, I saw somebody draw this comparison the other day. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's interesting to look at. And, I just from my personal opinion, and I've, I've only spoken to Victor probably twice. Um, but you know, I, I think he really loves it here. And I think obviously that's not really what we're talking about. It's more of just, you know, how much does, how much sense does he make with the team moving forward? Does it make sense for them to move on from him? Um, but I do think that plays a factor in it because having people who are good players that want to be in Indiana, that matters. Um, and I think Vic, does want to be in Indiana to an extent. I can't really speak on, on how much because I'm not him, but, you know. Yeah. Um, I see so much of this being very different than the Paul George situation. Now, of course, this is a Pacers superstar going into his uh, uh, third deal. Um, seems like maybe there's some conflict with management. Um, it seems like there's a little bit there. And so that gives some Paul George vibes. Um, it was reported that he got like basically a, the same deal that he's on right now offered to him as an extension going forward saying, yeah, we'll, 
we'll extend you at the same rate that you are playing right now for four more years. Um, I don't know who initiated that conversation. It seems like it was real. Uh, the pay, anytime false information gets out the Pacers, apparently they're releasing statements that it's not true. So it kind yeah. of tips your hand about what is true, maybe. Um, but um, it, there's a chance that maybe a Vic's agent asked for it, and then they gave that, and then maybe he feels a little insulted. If I was Victor Oladipo, in my mind, I'd be thinking my next deal is a max deal. Someone's going to give it to me. And your, your brain might have been um, in which team should, I, should give me that max deal? It has shifted now to whatever team that is, I'm going there. Um, I wouldn't blame him at all for having that mentality. And maybe that's a false mentality. But, you know, I think that maybe he's hurting a little bit for what that next contract's going to be. Expected the Pacers to pony up. Pacers haven't done it. Maybe there's some friction there. So those would be where the comparisons lie. Again, where it's different is that I don't think he's going to get a max deal. I think he has to negotiate with that a little bit. He's not quite as good as Paul George, where I think where any franchise, if they could clear room, would sign Paul George like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think all the people is quite at that level. I think that um, there might be some teams that might quietly try to go maybe in a different direction or thinking about it a little bit harder. And so that makes it a lot different in that sort of situation. He doesn't have the power right now to say, um, you know, I want to play um, uh, in whatever. I want to play for the Charlotte Hornets, you know. I'm trying to think of a <laughs> oh, weird man. team just to spice that it up would a little be, bit. <laughs> would that be – okay, so quick question off that. Would that be – that notification would probably be even more surprising than the Steve Nash <laughs> from yesterday. <laughs> Depot insists on going to the show. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I just love playing off of Terry Rozier. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. That would be a nightmare. But, but he doesn't have the clout to do that kind of yeah. thing. Um, with Paul George, it didn't work, but he did have the clout to do that sort of thing um, and to put it out there and have it taken seriously. I think if Ola Depot had made it a trade to a specific team, I think that media would further browse a little bit more than kind of say, oh, no, it's on. Um, and so that adds a layer of difference too. Um, and I don't th- Oh, okay. So the roster, I mean, the Pacers roster right now is pretty good. Um, could it be better? Yeah. Could a team that is able to just go deep into the luxury tax for years and years and years produce a better roster? Probably. Um, a lot of teams have spent a lot of money and don't have rosters that are better than the Pacers. But uh, that said, um, if the Pacers with this management were willing to spend that much, then maybe that wrinkles them a little bit. So um, uh, there's that. But um, he, the, Paul George, when he was at the end of his era, that roster was bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Was bad. I mean, most of those guys were out of the NBA, if not the next offseason, but the one after that. I mean, it was a bad, bad roster. Um, I don't think Oladipo can look at this roster and say, like, this is just a dumpster fire and I need to go. Um, uh, and so that's a little bit of a, of a difference there, too. Um, I don't think Paul George really specifically loved playing for the Pacers that much. I don't blame him. He's from not from Indiana. If I got um, randomly put on uh, the Charlotte Hornets to crap on them again, um, I don't know if I would have developed a deep love for the city of Charlotte. So, I mean, that is what it is. I don't blame that at all. It did seem like Victor Oladipo really genuinely embraced playing in Indiana more than Paul George ever did. Um, and I don't, I think it's kind of weird to criticize an athlete for not doing that. But at the same I time, I just, I do think it was there. I think that that was real. 
Um, it may have soured a little bit based off of the fact that he's trying to have so many question marks about where his next paycheck is coming from. Um, uh, but um, uh, those are all different to me. And so that's what makes it feel uh, very different in that sort of situation. Um, uh, but the fact that maybe there is a little bit of poison in the well from his relationship with the franchise, that definitely feels somewhat similar and that probably is the most important thing, really. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, we'll just make sure to keep him away from any charity softball games for over the summer. So. <laughs> um, but anyways, you know, uh, getting out of here. Dave, what are you working on? Uh, where, where can people find you? And uh, what are you looking forward to, man? Well, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, it's especially in the time of COVID, sometimes it struggles with, uh, to come up with that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I got a birthday coming up, so oh, okay. hooray for me. Um, I, I'm not hundred percent sure how old I am, but I'm in my mid thirties somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So looking forward to that. Um, there's a, um, there's a, there's a Dairy Queen Westfield that has a cake artist that has started to become very famous. Oh, wow. Being amazing at cake designs. Um, usually I'd go with maybe like a local bakery or something, but it's technically local. I hope she starts her own company. She should. Um, I think it's DQ Debbie, I think is her name. Sorry oh, okay. But um, you're making me a, a Reggie Miller. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Day. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be real cool. Um, then we're just gearing up for, uh, you know, another year of coverage at the field house. So uh, check it out there. Um, the field house with a dash in the middle, because um, apparently the domain was a little bit too popular, but we liked the name too much to go somewhere else. So I hate that little dash, but uh, you need it if you visit the website thefieldhouse.com. Awesome. Well, Dave, thanks for coming on, man. To everyone listening at home, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify. Go read Dave's work at the Fieldhouse and have a good rest of your day.